So this morning, you are, uh, we are continuing Peter, which, uh, as my wife was kind of saying, how is that going to tie into Christmas and love? Well, uh, it does. There may be a little bit of a stretch, but not too much. Um, first off, if you are married or not married, I want you to know right from the beginning, before I flip up where, we're at, where we are in Peter, this does apply to you. Either, either way, it applies to you. And uh, it may seem it's for married people, and I've heard so many times that whenever unmarried people hear a marriage sermon, they immediately take the key and they do what with it? They put it into, yeah, yeah, into the at least neutral zone, but it's not that way. Bear with me. This is the time that we're, we're in. It says, this is from a desperate woman who wrote tech support. So this is, this is from a woman who is... Uh, obviously experiencing some dis- different uh, difficulties at home. Last year, I upgraded from boyfriend 5.0 to husband 1.0, and I noticed a distinct slowdown in the overall system performance, particularly in the flower and jewelry applications. In addition, a husband, was, husband 1.0 uninstalled many other valuable programs, such as Romance 9.5 Romance and Personal Attention 6.5 and then installed undesirable programs such as Newspaper 5.0, TV News 3.0, and Basketball Game 4.1. Conversation 8.0 no longer runs. Please note that I have tried running nagging 5.3 to fix these problems, but to no avail. What can I do? We live in a difficult world with relationships that are difficult, and yes, things do ebb and flow and change. Uh, One of the things we we see is that uh, in this season of interactions with one another, it can be a little bit tougher during this time period. And uh, for all kinds of reasons, I don't even need to tell you that because you know that, but just acknowledging that helps us to go, okay, you know what, let's just chill a little bit here and maybe not take such a, a rash reaction to what happens as people are kind of uh, a little bit on edge. We're looking at First Peter chapter 3, and verses 1 through 12, and the, very, the first verses 1 through 7 are kind of difficult verses only because we don't see them from a cultural perspective necessarily that, they were, that Peter was writing to his audience about. And so just, just to take you back to that time, it was very different for men and women at that time. Women were not considered equals like men were in a, in a secular world. And as Christ comes into this world and he acknowledges the value of women in a way that they had never really been acknowledged before, we see Peter writing to a world that's in transition, that's in a cultural change point where all of a sudden they realize that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are, that, that we are together working together as, as a couple, and so the two really do become one. And we see this as First Peter plays itself out. So wives, I want you to hold your any reactions you might have for the until verse 7 then you can react all you want to interestingly i actually i was the one lined up in order to preach on ephesians 5 uh, 22 and there's some passages in, passages in there that also you'll get a reaction from females with and uh, submit to one another etc so i'm just saying that hmm, i don't know I, here it is again okay so wives in the same way submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by behavior of their wives, 
When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, this is not strictly about marriage, but the first seven verses sort of are there, and that's just all there is to it. If you look through the Bible and you look for examples of great marriages, you will look a long ways. You will have to look back and forward a long ways. You start with Adam and Eve, and everything was fine until the garden thing where they, they kind of got kicked out. And then you go Abraham and Sarah, and everything was fine until Hagar. And you even take Solomon, you read the Song of Solomon and the Shulamite woman he's with, and things are going pretty good up to a certain point, and then all of a sudden he has 700 uh, wives or concubines. And you realize, wow, this is a difficult thing. Relationships are difficult, not just marriage. And that's what this is really about is about relationships, how we interact with one another, uh, how Chance and I interact with one another, how you interact with your boss or with people who you interact with on a daily basis. And maybe some people are a little bit more uh, abrasive than others in your world. And that's really what this whole passage is actually about. So as we start breaking it down, we realize that a, a submissive spirit, Peter says, and I, I want you to, to just think about this right now. Do you trust that what God says in his word is more trustworthy than what you think in your mind and what you have, may have been taught as you grew up and had many influences in your life? I want you to wrestle with that question right now. Do you trust his word more than your own understanding? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 talk about this. Do not trust in your own understanding because... Basically, God has got this view of things. And if we look at this passage from God's wisdom, we'll see that really God has got his best, his best for each of us. There's a blessing when we understand what this was for. The wives that Peter is writing to specifically are wives who are married to... Who? Ah, so we'll read this. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. 
Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So first of all, the reason why Peter writes this, or the audience he's writing to, is who? To wives who are married to unsaved men. So his purpose in writing this is to enlighten them to what they're supposed to do in this situation. And many of them would be, would be found that way. Christ comes, and many the women would have come to know Christ, and maybe some of the men didn't, the, the husbands. Maybe they were hard, you know, just, they're just men. They just dug their heels in, and they're like, nope, not going to go for this. And the women are like, wow, I mean, this is the, this, this whole idea of grace and mercy, and he's not buying it. Until he sees what? The change in her life. And then he realizes something's changing in her. And what Peter is doing is he's saying, I want you to live differently than the world. I want you to attract your husband to Christ by the way that you live. And that doesn't differ from any of us with any people that we have relationships. We are to be attractive to the world towards Christ. We should actually attract them to our Savior by the way that we live. But specifically, he says this, that it's not from your outward adornment. Now, is he saying that you can't get your hair done and you can't put makeup on and you can't take a shower in the morning? No, categorically no. Okay, please do all of those things if that's what makes you feel good and you're, and you're kind of, this is, so you're the temple of the, the, of the Holy Spirit. You realize that you represent God and so you don't want to run around like an unmade bed. If you, can, if you can make yourself look like a made bed, then do that because you again bring what to Christ? glory. And you, you want to do that. So you want to present that to them. But what his focus here is, uh, we had this conversation in our house a couple weeks ago, one of the kids said, talked about cleaning the outside of the cup and the inside. And the conversation went something like, man, he was, Jesus was mad. He was scathing mad. And he's like, you, da, 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 you, you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside of the cup. What Peter is saying is this, don't just clean the outside of your cup. Don't just make yourself beautiful on the outside, but do what? Build it into the inner part. What is your unfading beauty? It's of a gentle and quiet spirit. What is that? It's the kind of spirit that would be Christ-like, that would win a husband to, to Christ because you look just like Jesus. You look different than someone else. And so we see this, that it, has, that it has great value in God's sight. So these women who were in very difficult situations would do this for the sake of the fact that they were getting a blessing from God and realizing that by doing what they were doing, they weren't, they weren't trying to necessarily uh, you know, manipulate their husband, but they were trying to please the Lord and at the same time follow his prescription, follow the Lord's prescription, his word on how you bring your husband to Christ. And it's not nagging 5.3. It's just, you know, dragging him to church and realizing, wow, that just didn't work, and it didn't work, and it didn't work, and repeatedly, it still doesn't work. The aroma of Christ, we recognize that the aroma of Christ is when we first, when we first came to know Christ, and if you knew Christ as a kid, that's, that's super good, but if you were an adult, there were some people in your life that made an influence on you, and they were the aroma of Christ to you. My question, and ignoring the fact that you're married or unmarried, are you the aroma of Christ to someone? Is the inside of the cup have such characteristics that, that other people actually want to get to know who you belong to? And so that inner beauty that Peter talks about is really about attracting others by having a relationship with the Lord. 
For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. And you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way. Now was Abraham a perfect man? Do you think that he made some decisions, leadership decisions, that you would call failures? Yes, very much. And yet, Sarah did what? She trusted that God would work through those situations. And in him, in the order that he set up in order to provide a blessing to the whole world, not just to their family. And as you read that story in Genesis, and I would encourage you to do that, you recognize that there are several situations that, it, that she should have just dug in her heels in a worldly standpoint and say, you are not smart enough and you are not enough to lead this family. I'm taking over right now. The reins are mine. And she would have probably been warranted by, by the world standard to do that. But that's not where God's blessing and protection follows along with them as God has a plan for them and works that plan out. All right, husbands, you ready? Okay, get your, get your big boy pants on in a spiritual sense right now, because here it comes. Husbands, in the same way. What is that way? Verse 1 and verse 7, both. When, it, when he speaks to the, the wife, in the same way. In the same way of, as what? Well, just go back one chapter to 1 Peter 2, and guess what? You see Christ submitting to who? Willingly, voluntarily, to the Father. And you see the church voluntarily submitting to Christ. And you realize that there's, there is an order to things. And Jesus, Jesus was no less God than, than the Father is. And if you have a theological problem with that, boy, you really have to dig into it and realize that you read Colossians, there isn't anything substandard about Jesus. Creation, sustaining all of those things speak of his power. But yet he voluntarily said, I am going to put myself under the Father. Much like Sarah put herself under that guy named Abraham. Much like Peter saying, you need to put yourselves under your husbands. I realize he's not perfect, but just work with me. And then Jesus is the head of the church. And you realize there's this submission thing that goes on that God just goes, this is how it's going to work. Difficult. Husbands, in the same way, in the same way as Christ submitted to the fathers, as, as he sacrificially uh, put himself in a place where God could use him in a way that would be very, very unique. And if he wouldn't have submit, submitted, you and I would be, we wouldn't even be here. We would be hopeless. He says, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of this gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wow. He could have just said, just do it. Just do it. But what does he say at the end? That what? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, as a husband, what does that make you think of? How does that make you feel? Okay, well, that sunk in long enough. You realize it's a big deal, isn't it? It's not, it isn't just how I, I do the other you know, three or four commandments, but it has to do with whether I'm considerate and whether I respect. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, God is serious about this. He's kind of putting his foot down. What he's saying is this, you deal with your stuff or I'm not listening. True? That's what he's saying. 
So you can pray all you want to, but we've got issues between you and I. And in this season, we realize how important we, we really just rely on God in so many ways. And oftentimes we just take that for granted. Like, how much do you need God to come through in your life? In this area, and this area, and this area. How many areas of your life can you not control right now? Okay, now think about what keeps you from having God hear your, your prayers and your requests. And the one of the areas is this right here. So we realize that we are in the same way we are to, to uh, husbands, we are to, to uh, acknowledge that our wives are co-heirs with us and that we have this responsibility and that we can't just put that responsibility aside because God has given it to us. And that means we can't play TV 3.0 all the time because we have a better calling, a bigger calling that God wants us to live up to. Well, there are hindrances to, to, to prayer that are much like what is pointed out in verse 7. Husbands, if you don't do this, guess what? God's ear is not towards you. Isaiah 59.2 says this, But your iniquities have made, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And in the NIV, it says, so he, in the NIV, NIV says, so that he will not hear. So when there is sin in our life, what does that do to our prayer life? It's difficult. It's one of those things we realize that, that, that the Lord will not have, will he listen? Well, you know what? Where's your heart? And you recognize there are things that will affect our prayer life. Unforgiveness is another. And as we have this relationship that we're talking about today and relationships with bosses and with, with children and with maybe parents, um, whatever, realizing that there's some unforgiveness that may need to go by the wayside. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And so we come to God and we say, God, I need you to come through in all these areas. And hey, by the way, thank you for forgiving me of my sins because I would be nothing. I would be sunk without it. And, then, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my Father and our Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So another hindrance to sin is unforgiveness in our relationships. And here in 1 Peter, we see that discord in the home, husband or wife. And you can see that by the previous verses, unforgiveness. And it's just bitterness that grows itself can cause us as people who are trying to, trying to actually live life together, to have God turn his face from us and just like, you know what, you have some things you need to deal with because, uh, because those are prerequisites. And that's why in the Lord's Prayer, there's a critical part that says, forgive us our sins, then what does it say after that? As we forgive those who sin against us and realize that's true for all our relationships, not just for those who are, who are married. Ephesians 5.21, here it is, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's this mutual submission for the husband and the wife out of what? Out of reverence for their marriage? No, not necessarily all that's important. Out of reverence for Christ because we are underneath Christ who has submitted himself to the Father. So it says, wives, submit, your, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This seems very similar to 1 Peter. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
I'm just going to tell you this story, even though I debated them whether I should or not. When I was teaching on Ephesians 5, this very subject about three, eight months ago, I don't even know. After church, I was kind of wandering through the aisles, and over in a certain part of the church, I found a piece of paper. So I picked a piece of paper with cups and everything else, and I saw this piece of paper, and it, and it said, if this guy t- says any more about this, I'm going to unload on him. And I'm like, at first I was like, surely this person... And then all of a sudden I realized what the topic that I just spoke on on that day. And I realized, wow, <laughs> there was some, some young lady sitting over in that section of the room. And I had one thought in my mind as to why she wrote that to her friend as they were passing notes while I was obviously going on, spewing on. And the reason would be is what? She had probably had a previous experience where not such a godly man had probably bled her down in lots of ways. And I realized the hurt that a person can have because if you read this with, without the scope of what it really means, that's what it seems like. But what God really wants for us is blessing, not some sort of like control situation. He wants blessing and he knows me and he knows my wife better than I know her for sure. No question whatsoever. Still learning, right? And we realize, wow, God prescribes to us, writes out a prescription for each of us, knowing exactly what's on the inside. He gets the imaging, eight Tesla imaging source, and we just don't have that. So recognize as we read these verses that I I realize from a worldly standpoint, boy, these verses are tough ones. And realizing also that that mutual submission in verse 21 is so important to remember. Because we do submit to one another. And when there's decisions to be made, we make them as couples getting input from one another. But in the end, Abraham got called up for it. He's like, Abraham, hey, what's the deal? God went to him. Who, who, did, who did God go to in the garden? Adam, you can't go, you, you can't shirk that. So that's just the way God has set that up. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9, finally, all of you, okay, so now this isn't just the wife and the husband, this is all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because of this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I think to my growing up years with my brothers and my one sister, poor sister, truly poor sister, because we had no idea what she was going through we were living in the kind of a guy's world. But I think of repaying evil for evil. My brother had a shoebox beside his bed. Two older brothers, two younger brothers. Two youngers. I was on the younger side. And we were all in one, I call it the dorm, the upstairs. And there was these, in the 70s, they had these shoes that guys wore that had heels, hard heels on them. And they were kind of cool at that time. And probably right now, they wouldn't be that cool. Well, he had a box of them. And, it, we, and the rule was, the older boys can talk, but the younger boys... And so one of us would comment to back and forth to each other, you know, whatever they were saying, and then you would just, and then you would just raise your covers because you knew you could hear silence. They stopped talking, and you raised your covers because there was a shoe coming. And I think of the evil that repays evil, and you realize how many fights you get into when you're younger, and you realize, wow, if we take that into adulthood, and we, if someone does something to us, and we have to repay them because... That's, that just grows and it grows and it festers. And it isn't what God has called us to. We are called to love one another and to have harmony 
with one another. One of the words he says is be like-minded. That means unity. Oh, just look around in the world and tell me that there's unity right now. You would have to lie, wouldn't you? And you realize that's what God calls us to. Be like-minded. And at the same time, there's so many divisive things around. And we need to realize that even though my opinion differs on something, that doesn't mean that we can't be in unity. Not in unity on that particular topic, but that we can't be brothers and sisters and get along. Because we can, oh, we can look over those things and we can recognize that, you know what? My opinion doesn't have to necessarily make, uh, make it impossible for us to have the relationship that God wants us, wants us to have to have sympathy for one another, to recognize the, the compassion that, one, that we have for one another, whether it's a listening ear or whether it's a physical need that we, we help one another with. And this word, love one another, is, is coming from this word, Philadelphus, which is really the word that Peter, wrote, Peter himself, who wrote this book, used as Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? And, Jesus, and Peter replied, oh no, you know that I love you. And he used this word. And we recognize that this word is this word that we have for one another as brothers, not, not agape, but as brotherly love. And so Peter says, have brotherly love for one another. He goes on, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How many of you would say, I want some good days in front of me? Of course you would, right? We had a rough year, uh, and it really is kind of, you recognize at the end of this year, boy, it's, it's been a tough year. There are good days in front of us. And what this passage promises us is, first of all, that we are sojourners, and we are not, this is not our home. But secondly, that God blesses us as we live under his prescriptions. One of the very first things he tells us to do is to guard our lips. To guard our lips. What does that mean? Can anyone tell me? I have no snickers. That whole COVID thing kind of took care of that. What, is, what, is the, what does it mean to guard your lips? Think before, think before you speak. Think before you speak. And you're like, oh, I wish that wouldn't have come out of my mouth. Because once it comes out of your mouth, what? You can't take it back. You can ask for forgiveness. It's kind of like toothpaste. You squeeze it out of the tube, then what? That's it, right? It's kind of like it's there, and you got to figure out what to do with it. So guard your lips. Guard that point. James 1.26 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. And so if you don't want to love life much, what Peter says is just don't guard your lips because that will become a problem that you have to deal with. He also says, do not, do e do not meet evil with evil. Instead, turn from evil and do good. And so you see a U-turn, repentance is turning around and not just saying I'm sorry because you might have said sorry 16 times before and that brother or that sister or that spouse is going to be like, I, I want to see this one play out. I want to see repentance in terms of your actions. And that's important for us to not just take our, li our, our vows lightly to, to say, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry about this and I'm going to do better, but to, to go before the Lord and say, please help me change this in my life because I'm hurting my brother or my sister or my spouse. And so we need to pursue being a peacemaker by how we deal with our relationships. And here's a, here's a really important verse. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. I want you to picture the eyes of the Lord. 
Yeah, you, there's Chronicles, there's a verse in Chronicles, he's over seeing the whole, looking over the whole earth and looking for people who are, who are his own people. But here it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you want to be a person that God sees as someone who does evil? Can you, and I had a dad who, I had a dad that he was more, talk, more action than talk. I mean, I think mostly he just kind of just gave you the look. Like in church, if he gave you the look, that meant for the next two hours. That wasn't just for the next five minutes. You were just like, he would drill you with his eyes. And I think of the, the Lord, and I'm like, and you see him, and you, you recognize this verse going against those who do evil, that, his eyes, that he would put his eyes on us and go, wow, I love you, but right now, you are not acting very, very love-like to the people around you. And he's seeing his kids, and he's like, and, he, and my, I think my dad would just kind of, he kind of just, you'd, if you weren't the one, you'd just kind of lean back because you wanted whoever was the one to get the eyes because it was like lasers. And you realize, wow, he had to keep peace within the family. And so you see this and you recognize, wow, his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And, and we are truly righteous before God because of Christ, who, is, who has put himself as their substitute. But truly, in terms of listening to our prayers, is it worth it for you to lose your connection to God by con- continuing to be bitter, continuing to tr- mistreat the person who maybe you have a relationship with, uh, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a co-worker, someone who, who you continue to have this, this kind of adversary uh, situation with. It is really important we recognize that God protects us no matter where we go. The driving snow made visibility almost impossible, and it took him more than a half an hour to trudge the short distance to the party. As he rang the doorbell, he turned briefly to look out into the storm his eye caught the shadow of a retreating figure. It was his father. He had followed his son every step to make sure that he had arrived safely. I want God's eyes to be on me, on my kids, on you. And the way that we recognize the blessing of the Lord is by forgiving others and allowing his forgiveness to pour on us and for to keep that relationship clear and as as we experience communion together, a lot of times it's a time for us just to kind of reset and go, okay, Lord, is there anything in my life that would keep you from listening to my prayer, that would keep you from watching over me as I go about my day and protecting me, and so that you don't have to discipline me, that you don't have to put things in my life that would be for my own good to draw me back to you, but that you could just continue to bless me and those people who, who I love and, and are taken care of. Here's some applications. Do you want God's blessing in your life, even if it means doing things with his prescription rather than your, than your own? Do you trust him to bless you? Do you trust his word more than your own understanding about what's good for your life and how we do relationships and how we handle those things? As a woman, are you putting more effort in your outer beauty or your unfading inner beauty. Not saying you, you, you do one or the other, but are you putting effort in time, spending time with your, with your Savior in the Word and in prayer and with other believers 
to develop that inner beauty, that inner cup, rather than just the outer cup. And as a wife, is your meekness exhibited by strength under control? Are you holding and you taking that breath and your husband, for the seventh time, is not taking his shoes off, not saying anything about me, but just if, if that happened, <laughs> you would just take a deep breath at the door and go, take your shoes off for the eighth time. <laughs> husband, are you loving, respecting, honoring, cherishing your wife? Because that's what you told the person when you stood up here, right? That's what you said. And so are you doing that? When, and are you in unity with other believers, sympathetic towards them, loving one another, meeting each other's needs, compassionate? Do you want to love life and want to see good days, controlling your tongue? Are you doing that? And are you living in opposition to the Lord in some area of your life? Do you just need to say, okay, that I need to do a U-turn right here because that area of my life is not right. And because of that, his eyes are looking at you, but he's like, man, I'm going to have to discipline him. I'm going to have to discipline her because I love him so much and I would never let them go off that far. I won't let them go over the edge. And how important is it that you would have the Lord's ear? And as, uh, as we close with this, I just want to read a story by Jeff Streit. It says, I love my dad, but he wasn't always a godly man. Most of us can recognize and relate with that. Not that he was a bad man, he was just a man's man. He could handle himself in any, any and every situation. He'd been a great basketball player and a great baseball player, and he could handle himself in just about any fight. He figured, what do I need God for? And so he rarely went to church or bothered to pray. But mom did. Mom was a faithful Christian and went to church just about every time the doors were open, and it made dad jealous. He didn't like sharing his wife with God. So one day he figured on a way, he figured on a way to maybe guilt her into backing off of her faith. So sad. He asked her, Martha, would you be happy in heaven if I were in hell? Would you be happy in heaven if I were in hell? Mom knew what he was asking and why. She thought for a moment and then replied, Lowell, would you really be comfortable in hell? If I were there with you, you wives are so, so wise. Just turn that around. Would you, be, would you really be comfortable in hell if I were with you? Well, of course not. He wants to protect her, right? That simple answer shook Dad. He'd never thought of it that way before. Then one day, not so long after that, Dad went to church and went down, the, went down to the front during the invitation and surrender himself to Jesus. Mom said that on the way home, Dad pulled the car off to the side of the road and began to weep, weep uncontrollably. He was grieving for how much he had missed. In time, Dad became an elder at the church, and when he died, he knew exactly where he was going. Mom had loved Dad into heaven. She didn't nag him. She didn't guilt him. She didn't argue with him. She loved him into heaven. And that is the objective of every Christian husband or wife. You don't want to leave your spouse behind. You don't want them to join. You want them to join you in heaven, but you can't get to heaven until you yourself know Jesus. And so, I just want to encourage you: if you have never received Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, 
That's what Christmas is all about. That's unwrapping the gift, the ultimate gift. And so as we pray, uh, and, and I pray as we leave here, I want you to recognize that not only the, these applications that we listed here are important, but recognize that not only is my relationship with Christ very important, but who am I leading to Christ by the way that I live? Is my beauty, that Christ-likeness, in the same way, such, such a des- desirable aroma to someone else, that they would actually be attracted to the Lord who I, who I uh, ascribe to and who I devote myself to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for First, first Peter 3. It's a hard, hard message. It speaks to us in a way that kind of challenges our earthly instincts of submission and, and who, we, who we are really uh, falling under. Father, I just thank you for the example of Peter as he was... A, a husband of a wife, and as he wrote this, and just with the understanding that he had. Husbands here today, Father, I just pray that you would strengthen them, that you would allow them to, to know the gift of their wife, the, the fragileness of her, but at the same time the strength of her and her meekness, that she's strength under control. And, and wives, I just pray for them as well, that they would, they would continue to draw themselves close to you, that they would be the aroma of Christ to their husbands, and that they would draw other people who they work with, their children, their, their, their parents, to you. And I also want to just pray as we love one another, especially in this season, as Mark and Katie shared, just that we would love uh, others as you have loved us, that we have the gift of, of Jesus, and that we can share that with others in this season. I pray for our, our Christmas Eve service. I pray for those people who you are supernaturally uh, working in their hearts to to invite, and I pray that as your church, our hands and feet and our mouths, that we would reach out to those who need you most, that we would invite them, that you would prepare their hearts, they would say yes, and that they would have an experience with, uh, with Jesus that they'd never had before. I just pray these things in your son's name. Amen.